And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thanks for joining me. Well, if you can believe it, we are just a handful of days before the election. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be deciding the fate of the nation. Yes, the fate of the nation, because you could not have two different candidates in President Trump and also former Vice President Joe Biden. They're agendas are different the way they look at things are different and the country will be very different depending on who is elected so i thought what could i do what could i bring to the table that's going to be a little bit different that's not the same political rhetoric that's really going to get you to think headed into the election and then i remembered one of my favorite people to talk to when i'm talking about being objective and really thinking things through is william sylvanius and if you want to check out more about him he's an author a change agent a consultant and a speaker go to williamsylvanius.com william my friend thanks for coming back on the show we got a good one today yes we do and it's always a pleasure to be on with you so first off, there's a couple of challenges. We, we've been emailing back and forth over the last couple of months, and you also said you've been doing some challenges online. And one of them is a five-day talk politics without anger or fear challenge. I think that's tremendous in and of itself, Because and we'll get to the second one in a minute, because I notice when I talk with most people about having a difference of opinion and I want to have a healthy political debate, that debate can't be had because past three minutes, they start thinking everything that is wrong with you because you don't agree with them and you can see them boiling up inside. And that's just, it's not a healthy way to go about things. And I think we can really move past that and be more productive with how we engage in discussion right here in America with our society. I agree. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the labels that we use and the images that our brain builds up behind those labels. And those images in the brain are also what spark the emotions, move us from uh, reasoning and cognition over to fight and flight. And then you see that come out in our conversation. And I'm sure it's not comfortable for either side. Yeah, exactly. And then what I tend to do, unfortunately, when I see the anger and the hatred in the other side, and sometimes it does look like it's borderline hatred, unfortunately, as I say, hey, let's simmer down. I just want to have a discussion with you. If we can have that discussion, great. If you can't back it off, I need to leave the conversation because I'm not going to have this unhealthy relationship. It's not good. Yeah, sometimes we have to set a boundary on things because otherwise it's just going to be a waste both of emotional energy and of our our time and our words. And none of us have time for wasting anything nowadays. No, not at all. And so we'll get to both of these. The second one is a three-day Finding Your Authentic Political Voice Challenge. I know you're probably listening to this thing. I know exactly what my political voice is. Maybe it's time to just kind of reassess that and see if you actually do. Tell us about that, William. Actually, I've had to upgrade it to being four days. I really like the three-day format, but just too much information. Okay. And it's designed for people to look at what their own personal political voice is, examine whether they are actually authentic to who they are personally, uh, helps them understand how we get caught up where our voice becomes actually somebody else's, and we're just what I call parroting things that we've heard, and sometimes we actually are just repeating the same phrases that uh, get repeated over and over again. Uh, The times that I've run it, uh, I've been fortunate. I've been able to run it with Americans, and I've run it 
for people who are overseas, Indria and Africa to be specific. And people have really found it helpful to get them focused and get them the feeling that, no, I'm back in control of me. I have something and it's worth saying, and I don't have to, I don't have to use the same thing. I don't have to believe the same thing that people think because I can communicate my own and communicate better than those existing problems out there. Yeah, a lot of what I hear on both sides, unfortunately, is you hear people talking or trying to argue in talking points. You can almost tell when there's an authentic discussion going on versus one of, hey, I'm exclusively watching Fox News or I'm exclusively watching CNN or whatever network or things that you would hear out in the mainstream media. And so you kind of hear things just regurgitated instead of maybe a more analytical description of why they believe what they believe. And part of it's because a lot of times we aren't even aware of where our beliefs come from. They're just so much a part of us, we haven't stopped to examine them, whether... They're the authentic us. They're the real uh, me. Are they expressing what I'm really thinking? Uh, And that's really important because if you want an authentic political voice, you have to be an authentic person and you have to be able to communicate that authenticity so that other people can hear it. Then they're more likely to say, "Okay, I understand where you're coming from now and maybe cut you a little break. Yeah, it's almost like the frog being slowly cooked in the pot because you don't even realize how you've got there because the flame's been slowly turned up on whatever political bias spectrum that you're on till finally the heat's all the way up and you realize you're, well, you don't realize, that's the thing, that you're speaking the exact same talking points and the exact same rhetoric that's coming from whatever political polar spectrum that you happen to be affiliated with. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that uh, you and I have mentioned personally is something called an echo chamber. Yep. And that echo chamber really reinforces the uh, way our mind thinks. It makes us think that, well, yeah, everybody understands what I'm saying. Everybody thinks like I do, uh, except these other folks over here that I don't know about them. And so we lose touch with the ability to see outside of this circle of information, this circle of talk, it's just self-reinforcing, and therefore we lose touch uh, with who we are. We just become a part of the circle, and it just keeps going and going, and it's easy, and our mind can take a rest, and our emotions can go where they want. And that's where I think both of what these challenges encompass I, are so important, because I think that can help us break out of the echo chamber, William. I sure believe that myself, or I wouldn't be putting my time and effort into them. (laughs) So first off, let's talk about the five-day in-depth, the five-day talks with politics. No anger, no fear. It's a challenge. I really do believe people can get through this and come out healthier on the other side, whether they're conservative or they're liberal. Tell us about this and, and the process, if you will, in getting from you know, maybe just you find, you know that you're a heated individual when you talk politics and you're hearing this message and you don't want to do that anymore. Tell us about the process. Well, the process is really, well, how would I say? First, you learn about your brain, how your brain really acts, how your brain really 
reacts to information that comes in, how it uh, builds those labels that you use that we that become us them labels. One of the fun things is that I've had people in the same challenge group who had very polar opposite political beliefs and yet could all see the same thing. That, oh, wait a minute, we have this human thing in common. Uh, you learn about an addiction that we have. Uh, by the way, most of our brain work happens on autopilot. It's just kind of the way we've come to be in the modern, what we call the, uh, mm-hmm. the present age, I guess. Uh, but most of us also are addicted to uh, dopamine, and dopamine is a chemical in the brain. It can make you feel good on a short-term basis, but it's not the kind that is a satisfactory feel-good in the long term. It's the kind that throws you into, oh, guess what, fight-and-flight mode. And when you're in fight-and-flight mode, your reasoning and your cognition shut down. So what's that leave you to be dealing with? Mostly your emotions and uh, dysfunctional thoughts like distorted uh, uh, cognitive discourses, things like that. And when dopamine is triggered in in our system, we actually have a slight addiction to that, and we don't even realize it. Yes, because it does produce that feel-goodness piece to it. We get an addiction to it. And we can't escape it happening because every negative bit of information that comes through the brain, uh, that brain reacts to with dopamine. Because dopamine is a thing that allows you to do a quicker reaction to, to a, a perceived danger. And the brain is still operating kind of in that survival mode where it doesn't want to miss something and put you at risk. So it, it becomes so steady and we're so flooded with dopamine on a constant basis and of course, we end up with a dopamine addiction that we don't, we're not even aware of. It just becomes a comfort zone for us, and yet it produces such non-reasoning and uh, such fight and fight, fight and flight type uh, reactions that aren't communicative, really. Uh, and you know, the power structures that are out there, the things, the people that are broadcasting to us, the politicians themselves, the, the different things in our lives are all set to appeal to fight and flight. They are purposely structured to cause that. And I go into that a lot deeper in the five-day challenge, but it's really telling when you stop and think about what the literature says, more than that, what the research says is working and how that all is centered on that fight and flight mechanism because that's what gets people to go out and vote. That's what gets people to get all excited. And, and there's a certain amount of voting that's just it's, it's an emotional response. And we have to guard against that because we want to vote from reason and from facts. But the system stacked against us. I would almost say, William, I never really thought about that until right now, actually. So I'm glad we're having this discussion that if they're aware of it. So if the politicians are aware of it on either or both sides, that this type of reaction can occur occur within us and it's fight or flight. And we're going to have that, you know, that shot of dopamine that's really going to get us riled up that they make those issues fight or flight so that we will get into that pattern and we are kind of for lack of a better terms locked in that cycle and we're not going to be making those reasonable decisions that we should be making 
Yes, and it is purposely done. It's purposely done by both sides. The more I've read about it, the more I've learned it. Of course, the more sensitive I am to it when I see it out there. And it's like they're following the same playbook as far as what works to get people to support them or to go out and vote uh, for them and their candidate. It's it just... Uh, if it wasn't so serious, it'd be almost funny, you know, not in that ha-ha way, but that other kind of funny that's kind of like, oh, yeah, look at that. I'll, I'll have you finish with, you know, reviewing your personal political voice, because I think that's kind of the crux of the whole uh, of that first challenge. But watching the vice presidential debate, what I love about Mike Pence, probably more than almost any politician out there, he's a very cognitive stalwart individual he doesn't get emotional and i like watching him because he presents facts and it's kind of common sense with whether you agree or disagree with him i agree with him almost a hundred percent of the time and i don't get all upset or actually fired up in the other direction because it's just like fact here fact here fact here the guy's great the guy's brilliant (laughs) yeah i did notice that that he's uh he is a person who is in control of his brain processes. It's probably just natural to him by this point in his life uh, because of how he has basically instructed his brain that uh, to work. Because you see that brain, that automatic brain, has two problem-solving pieces that are really good, or preferences is what I want to say. And that is that, that the brain likes to please our conscious mind. So the other side of it is that the brain likes to make choices. So when we, when the brain sees us being happy with our thoughts and being happy with the information we receive, it's going to filter more of that our way. And that's going to keep the fight and flight down, which is then going to kick in the reasoning and cognition because that's what makes us happy in most cases like this. And the other thing is that when we're asking the brain, whether consciously or subconsciously, but we can do it consciously. Yes, we can actually tell the brain that we want it to give us certain pieces of information. Uh, we want it first. So we can ask the brain, and it looks like Pence does that uh, on an automatic basis, to show us these pieces that are going to be constructive. We can hijack that negative part of our brain to actually help us out. And then the other piece that goes with it is the choices. So if we've consciously or unconsciously said, we want to know X, Y, Z first. So like you tell them a topic and you kind of, I want this type of a, uh, approach on that topic. That brain will go through and pull those things up. And as the new information is coming in, it will quickly give them priority over the negative and put you back in that reasoning and cognition and problem-solving mode. It makes me wish that more politicians were just like Vice President Pence because it would be so easy to not get caught up in all of this and to be more uh, on an even-keel basis, you know? Yeah, I agree 100%. And the last part of this is reviewing your personal political voice, which is actually part of the set. It's they, they go together, so it, it kind of ties into the second challenge. But So reviewing your political voice and making sure that that voice is authentic. Yes, and I think that's very important for us to be able to be in control of our own political agenda, uh, to be... To, I guess to say to escape being manipulated, uh, 
we have to know what is authentic to ourselves. So one of the things I teach is I teach the characteristics of an authentic person. Uh, this is uh, very important. It, you know, if you think about it, there are a lot of people who can stand up and they can talk with fire and they can, you can tell they really believe what they're saying and, uh, you know, they can be very convincing and yet you realize that what they're saying isn't real. Mm. It's not them. It's, it's the words, but it's, it's not authentic. It's not who they are. It's not what they do. You see it in their lives, things like that. And so there are characteristics similar to that that help you judge your own authenticity, as well as, of course, it will help in listening for the authenticity of other people. Uh, it'll help you, therefore, not become a copy, but you become the real you, not a copy of someone else. And that is absolutely critical to finding your own authentic political voice and protecting it and projecting it. It also goes back in a little deeper on the dopamine addiction and how that works into the political wars and, uh, again, reviews how to take control of your physical brain so that when you are speaking, you aren't speaking in a reactionary way. You're speaking from a settled, reasoned way that uh, is the undergirding of what your policies are, your, your uh, what I guess what you call points on your platform are. And I, and I think that no matter which one of these things you take first, the, the great thing about knowing your authentic political voice, I would almost say the three-day, uh, the three now upgraded to the four-day challenge, finding your authentic political voice, you should take first. Because if you're more in tune with who you are and what you truly believe, you can be more calm. Am I correct here, William? Well, it depends a bit on the person, but you're correct. Uh, what I say, what I think is if they do the four-day challenge, the authentic political voice challenge first, they're going to have enough to work on that the other information will help them be empowered to do that work of finishing the development of their authentic voice. Mm. However, if they do the other challenge first, they'll come in with that knowledge of how the brain works, They'll come in with that knowledge of how the power structures work against uh, against us in uh, in having this authenticity that they want. So it can go either way. Uh, it partly depends on where they're at and and to how involved they are. I don't know. I suppose someone that's very involved in politics, I might recommend for them that four day authentic political voice challenge just because of their major involvement. Someone that's just struggling with, oh, I just hate what's going on in politics. I'm tired of these people being angry every time we talk and share. They might need that comfort because they're really dealing with the emotion of learning how the process works. So it just kind of depends on where you are at in your daily life with which one is going to be better for you. I mean, they're both great, but which one you should start with, I should say. Yeah, but, you know, if a person goes, I mean, the other thing we humans do is if we have a choice and we don't know which way to go, we choose nothing. And so if a person says, you know, both of these happen to sound really good to me and I just don't know which one to do first, then if you have to, throw the dice <laughs> or, you know, just pick one. Because either way, you're going to get a very good start to get towards the things that are appealing to you. You're going to get an understanding that opens you up 
and helps you uh, a whole lot in dealing with politics. Noah here and across the county with my one of my favorite guests, quite frankly, William Sylvanius. Go to williamsylvanius.com. William, I'm going to bring this into it, too, because this is a great factor to talk about headed into the election. Five systems that dehumanize we the people, which is what our nation is founded on. We the people. Something that I believe. Is this on your website as well? Well, actually, it's a part of the five-day challenge talk. Oh, great. And and the first, so it's in five bullet points, this five systems that dehumanize we the people. The rules and structure of the House and the Senate, the political campaigns dehumanize us, the political parties dehumanize us. That is something I have believed for a long time. I should, th- I think people should run on individual platforms as if you're Donald Trump, you run as Donald Trump and your ideas, and if someone likes you, they vote for you. That's, I think it's pretty simple. <laughs> I like that. I really do. And then there's also, yeah, yeah. Go, no, go ahead, go ahead, make, make, a, make a comment, and I'll finish the list here in a second. Well, I was just going to say there's also on there that the media dehumanizes us, and I think more and more people are becoming aware of that. Oh, yes, big time. You really have to watch, even me being in, in the media on the radio side, where I get my stories from, from, where I do my research, I really have to be careful at the information I ingest, because you want to make sure, one, it's accurate, and two, it's not biased. That's true. I had to put a thing up, a post up on my uh, Facebook, and a lady responded, that's wrong. That's not true. It was about, it was an article that said that the House members had left town. And uh, she said, that's wrong. They haven't left town. And she's a lady I trust. So at first I thought, you know, I, I believe her. She's usually right on. And then I got a little ups, uh, little nervous about it. So I decided, well, let me look and see what I can find. Of course, I couldn't find anything that said whether they were in session or not in session because everything is on the political session going on now. Yeah. And then fortunately, I thought about looking at the House, Repre- House of Representatives website. And I went on there and there was their calendar and the calendar said the last day of session had been October 2nd and the next day that they would have a renewed session would be 16th of November. And it said, actually listed on the piece after that, that they were in their districts. Hmm. And I'm going, no, in fact, the person whose article I shared had their information straight. Uh, they might not have, she might not have appreciated the implications sure. that he drew from that. But the basic fact was correct. They weren't in session and they weren't in town. Now, whether Pelosi's in town and talking or talking by phone from California who knows, and it doesn't really matter the way things happen nowadays. Oh, if she's in town, let me know. I'll get an ear mask. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's all I have to say about that. And the last one that's on here, I think, is critically important. One, two, part of that five-day challenge. And two, because we are headed to November 3rd, and it's going to be a great Thing to recognize as we make our voices heard. The voting system dehumanizes us. William, how is that? The voting system reduces us to being a vote. We become a number, not a human. The way the voting system is set up, it's an aggregate of numbers, and then people say this means such and such. Mm-hmm. But those of us who voted might not mean that such and such. 
So, for instance, something that's often said is, well, we won the election, so we have a mandate from the people to do X, Y, Z, referring back to their agenda or something new they want to do. Mm-hmm. No, they received the correct number of votes to win, but that wasn't a mandate. Generally, only about 60% of the voting age, uh, the voting eligible population votes, okay? So right off, you don't even have 50% of the population backing you up. And the elections are usually so close that it, uh, you know, close enough you can almost say it's 50-50 in most cases, but in any case, you then the people that got you voted on, the people that elected you, represent only half at most of the people who went to vote. Well, how can half of the people who voted become the mandate? Mm-hmm. And then if you break it down into why they voted, we saw in the last election, and you and I talked about it in one of our other times together, that people voted for a lot, uh, voted for a person because they were voting against the other person. I think we're up for that to happen again this time. I think so. And so a vote for you wasn't a mandate or a vote for your ideas, your beliefs, or your even your platform, if you had a decent one. It's just, it was a vote that I don't want that other person in there. How does that stand up as a mandate? Voting reduces us to being, that's how it dehumanizes us. That vote gets disconnected from the humans who voted it. And then they build a whole rest, uh, system of thoughts and beliefs and action based on that dehumanized, count of numbers so this will be a this will be a great question to ask you as we close because we are running out of time so how do knowing that knowing that the voting system has dehumanized us probably whether we realize it or not and you can have your beliefs and that's fine and nothing is wrong with your beliefs or the political people that you support but it still does how do we take that back how do we not let it dehumanize us william well, I know what my heart wants to say, but let me say the short piece first. <laughs> you do that by communicating. Every time you hear that said something that you don't agree with, but because you voted for that person, they're, they're claiming you've given them a mandate, you go, you communicate to it. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a message. It can be on the phone. Somehow you say it back. So they continuously are hearing that does not represent me. That does not represent me. I voted you. That does not represent me. Or I didn't vote to you for that. Uh, so you you get them. You you. What you're trying to do is you're breaking them out of that assumption that they operate on, which is it was an invalid assumption. Now, I have some crazy ideas, and one of them is that I'm because this election, no matter who wins is going to be a disaster. I hate to say it that way. But you're going to have a whole lot of people, a whole lot of unhappy. You're going to empower the extremes on both sides to think that uh, being in a big fight would be better. And there's actually some people, more people in the middle that are willing to fight now. And there's some dangerous possibilities coming up here. And I think that because of the way the political system is structured, I think it's because the two-party system has created those structures to protect itself and protect its leaders. And I think we're going to have to do a, a bipartisan, a nonpartisan is a better word, movement that says, okay, we're through this election, thank God, here we are, but look at here, folks. 
we know that there has to be a reform and we're going to hold you accountable for it. Now, it would have to be a nonviolent movement. Of course. Uh, and there are all kinds of tricks to use to help get that attention because people aren't going to say, oh, well, yeah, I guess I better change my ways. No, they're bought in. They're, they're co-opted into their own system. It's too dangerous for them to leave it. So it's going to take us from outside of the system raising up in enough numbers and with enough things going on to say, hey, it's time for reform so we don't have this happen again four years from now. I agree with you. I think the political party system, the two-party system, is broken. I've thought that, actually, for a long time. My beliefs lean more towards Republican, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm okay with the label of Republican and Democrat. As I said earlier, I think everybody should just run as an individual, and I think that would streamline the process so much more, and you would cut out a lot of the political rhetoric in the process, William. Yes. If we, if they restructured the rules and the and the structure of organization within the Senate and the House, so that it wasn't political rewards for whoever won the majority vote, but it was for how to get the work done, it would take a major step towards a ability to fix the broken system. If the campaigns learn that, hey, we don't like the way you run these campaigns. All they do is make us frustrated. They make us have headaches. They make us be all emotional when we're wanting to be reasonable. Uh, Then we can begin to show that this two-party thing is just not working, and it's not working because of the systems they've built in place that protect it. Mm. Uh, That's my spin on it, but I think think it'd be worth a shot. You know, if you don't do anything, we'll have more of the same. If we try, then we, the people, at least would make our voice heard. There's ways to make that voice big enough that it can result in reform. Well, and that's part of the whole thing about being dehumanized, is you're not going to feel that, even if nothing changes per se, and I hope it does, quite honestly, but it's about standing up and whether it's calling your representatives. I hear this all the time. You're upset? Okay. Pick up the phone. Call your representative, email your representative, whether it's somebody in Congress or somebody higher up or maybe somebody more local. Be a part of the process and make sure that they know, you know what, you're not okay with what they're doing. Yes, and but when you do that, there's one caution I put in there, and that is often you get a form letter back, you get some uh, soundbite back. Don't get worried about the fact you get the soundbite. Because what they're doing is they are tracking the number of people who are saying these things. And so it doesn't get lost. It just gets aggregated to show how big the voice of opposition or for something is. Uh, and they're, they're still a little sensitive to that. So we, on the other end, have to just not be put off by the fact that it seems like it's real impersonal when it comes back. It's not a good enough reason to not express ourselves. No, you got to stand up, not just for yourself, but for your country. That's what this country was founded on. Absolutely. That's what it was founded on. That's the great American experiment that we've had ups and downs with, but we've been a lot more successful than the, any other democracy that has been out there to date. Well, and we don't lose that, even though it feels like at the present time we are. It feels like it at the present time, but that's why I think both of these challenges and the points that intermix the two 
and also not allowing yourself to be dehumanized are so important. Take the five-day Talk Politics Without Anger or Fear Challenge or the three, now four-day Finding Your Authentic Political Voice Challenge. I'm going to take them myself because i got to tell you, even though I do know where I stand, I'm pretty authentic with myself. There's no harm in reasserting and reaffirming this is where you actually stand. And with an important election coming up in November, this is something that we can all do to just make sure, hey, you know what? I'm calm. I'm collected. I'm making the cognitive right decision for what I believe. And you can make your vote and you can feel proud about it. And I think that is so important for all of us as citizens to feel that way. And I agree, even though you may feel all of those pieces are in place for you, we do need to continuously review where we're at because the brain always changes or our standing is from where we were to something new. And if we're not aware of that, we're not what we thought we were. So I actually even have a quick review product that comes out at the end of that authentic political voice challenge that gives you something to one sheet that you can go back and refer to and quickly think through it and help you flag whether something's gone gone awry with your authentic voice. Well, be true to yourself and find out more about both of these challenges and everything William Sylvanius. Again, he is an author, a change agent, which is one of my most important uh, things that, in my mind, that he does because we need more agents of change out there. Also, consultant and a speaker, go to williamsylvanius.com. My friend, it's a pleasure as always, and there's always so much to talk about. We'll have you back on in the near future. That's good. You know, I always like talking with you. And thanks for tonight. Noah here on Across the County, williamsylvanius.com. Stay tuned. There's more coming up.